everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Gamer Noob. Um, Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays, Happy New Year, all that fun stuff. We are currently in the middle of celebrating with family and friends, so uh, we're a little busy, which means that we're doing a Gamer Noob. Uh, Next week, we're going to go back to the Voyage of Vagabonds arc that we were on, and instead of doing a Gamer Noob between arcs, We'll just hop right into the second arc. We just needed some time because, hey, it's the holidays, so we're having a lot of fun. Uh, so for today's Gamer Noob, I'm here with Cody. Hello. And Zach. Woo! Oh, and our dog. We are also here with Bombadil. Yes. Um, but for today's Gamer Noob, we are going to talk about Dungeoneering. And uh, Dungeoneering is kind of the uh, loose terminology for environments that your characters are going through. And... Uh, this is going to be a very long topic, uh, so we are not going to cover it all today, uh, which means that today we are just going to talk about how do you get started. So when you're creating your dungeons or wherever your players are going through, how do you get started? What's your inspiration? What do you need to do to uh, get yourself in the zone? Who wants to take it? I feel like Zach should start because he actually runs... A game called Dungeons and Dragons. Well, I'm gonna let you start, and then I can tell you every spot you're wrong in. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, I, I I actually do kind of have an answer for this. Um, it helps that we talked about this beforehand, so I was able to think about it while I was going and getting my giant diet soda. Um, so for me, what I like to do is have something to look at. So I bank really heavily on like art that I find on the internet. Interesting. You know, so like. It's not something for the Wandering Gamer Network, but the game that me and Mandy play with just some friends. Um, there is a dungeon that we're going through right now that the whole point of that dungeon is to get to a piece of artwork that I saw someplace. That was like a big scary monster coming out of a doorway. That is where all of the game is leading to. And everything aside from that, like all the steps leading up to it, are generally stolen um, so like puzzles or traps or I don't, I don't know that I would use puzzles, but the obstacles that I put in the way generally are either directly lifted from a video game that I've played or from someone else's RPG or just like from a book that I read recently. And then I just kind of cram that in there. So it's a lot of looking at art and theft. All right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not creative. I'm okay with that. I mean, the the place where my most of my dungeons start is where we're at in a meta plot that I have picked. So, the most recent one we recorded for Voyage of Vagabonds, they're doing a heist. And the person they're stealing from is specifically tailored because like they need to learn more about the meta plot now from going through this quest. After that, I use maps. Everything is mapped. Because without a map, I cannot do anything. It's just like, you walk into a room. What's the room look like? It has four walls. And a door. (laughs) (laughs) So I was actually, I was listening to another podcast called um, System Mastery. They review um, old RPGs. And one of the ones that they reviewed recently was for um, an action like RPG where you're supposed to play like old 80s action movies so it's like what you use to play rambo or you know die hard or something like that right and the way that the book suggested that you plan stuff is not in like it's not in maps it's in scenes 
and like descriptions of scenes that you just kind of like list out. So it could be like a big iron foundry and then like the rooftops around shattered glass or like, you know, uh, the alleyway where there's like trash cans and stuff. And that is very similar to what I do where like, I don't necessarily have a really detailed map because like your maps are really good. I don't do that. <laughs> like, if I need to draw a map, it's like, here's a squiggly box, you're the X, the lizard man is the Y. That's all you get. It's very imaginative. It's usually the lizard man is the other X. Yeah, right? It's like, one, two, three, four. You're four, one, two, and three correspond to my note cards. But I do like having vivid descriptions somewhat prepared, because those are hard. That's where you get into, what does the room look like? Oh, there's a wall and another wall and it's made of stone. <laughs> there are torches. Yeah, no, I, I, I totally agree with you. I actually, I do, I did need a map for my game. Um, I, I drew out probably about three or four different versions just to get a sense of exactly what was going on and what the building was. Um, because for me, I wanted to give you guys the setting to be in and then you guys can, I mean, it's, it's what a dungeon is, you know, give you guys the, uh, ability to pick which direction you wanted to go and so if you guys wanted to go right i needed to know i needed to know what was to the right um but my my description was office or um this is where this happens this is where this npc is so kudos to you for having descriptions mine was pretty bland (laughs) my descriptions unfortunately start out they're really strong they'll be like half paragraph for each one by the last one, I'm like, this is a room. I'm done writing this, <laughs> this. I don't care. If they get this far, screw it. We'll do it live. Well, and like the reason that I like to work off of some kind of source art is that it makes those descriptions so much easier. True. Like when I know that the end of my game is this picture that I saw, well, then I just have to describe the picture on microphone or not on microphone in the case of what I'm talking about because we're not recording it, but... For my friends, I just have to describe a picture that I've already seen. That's pretty easy. But when you're like pulling it out of a hat and it's like you go into a cave, it's cavey, it's wet, there's moss in the cave, it's a green cave, uh, you know, then it kind of gets clumsy. Yeah. Well, this also talks about or we should talk about how or this thing I heard was where less description is actually more in a lot of ways. Yeah. Like, I don't remember where it was, but someone was saying like he spent like an hour coming up with this description for like a cemetery yeah trying to make it feel creepy and then he's like he ran that a couple times and people were like okay whatever and then one time he's just like it's a cemetery at dusk and people like started giving him like like his the character started feeling on edge because everyone was imagining the eerie feeling that comes with the cemetery at dusk he's yeah like, i spent an hour trying to make this perfect description of a cemetery at dusk and all I needed to say was a cemetery at dusk, and it worked. Yeah, it's like what what a wise a wise man said once about brevity being the soul of wit, or something. <laughs> <laughs> something like that. Yeah, Shakespeare's an idiot, but he had that right. <laughs> oh. Well, we can argue about that some other time. Um, but okay. I want to have this fight. Dang it! <laughs> this is the time for it. Uh, He's man. overrated. Okay. It's the Michael Bay of his day. Okay. You can you can try and argue that out of the theater person later. But um so so since both of you have run longer than one shot games, I'm I'm curious where when you're making the dungeon, do you try and build on what you've done previously to make each one more 
intricate and more interesting. Um, this actually would be a cool time to talk about the game we started to play with friends uh, where we were literally like the dungeon was the whole game. Um, oh, yeah. You know, the one with the mediocre plot. <laughs> Well, all right. Apparently <laughs> mediocre. Did someone say it had a mediocre plot? Caitlin did on a different gamer noob. Oh, did she? <laughs> yeah. Aww. No, not that part of it, but when you were doing like the mystery to get them into the dungeon. Oh, yeah. Um. Well, yeah. So like for particularly the one that you're talking about, the the whole game was set in a dungeon. So like you couldn't leave the dungeon. That was the world Um. was this dungeon. And in that case... um. Yeah, it, it never, like, we didn't end up playing it long enough for it to go anywhere, which seems to be the perpetual curse of Dungeons & Dragons, is, you know, you do a ton of work and then you play for five minutes. <laughs> whoa, whoa, whoa. And then people get tired and quit. It happens. Um, it's harder when you have people scattered over a couple different states. Yeah, and different time zones and stuff. <laughs> but w what what the plan with that one was that, like, the deeper you delved in, the world was going to kind of change. So you were going to find, like enclaves of like humanity and other creatures where they had managed to like build something of a home in this like um underground world but like the danger was going to be perpetual so like it was always going to be like a harsh horrible place to be um and so the theming i wanted to kind of be consistent so it was always going to be like this massive cave that was all full of like monsters and gross um, but then different areas could kind of have unique themes. So it did a little bit of the work for you because at some point you didn't have to say the walls are made of black stone because of course they are. Um, but it also then kind of meant that the game could be more focused. You didn't have to have the part where you like cut scene between two parts of the game. You know what I mean? Because that always kind of seems to happen where it's like, how far away is this? Like a week. Like, what are we doing that week? Nothing. And nothing happens. <laughs> like, might as well have been next door then, you know? Um, so that was just sort of like what I was trying to address with that game that went nowhere and where we didn't do it. <laughs> I mean, for me, I don't necessarily try to build on complexity. I try a lot of, um, making dungeons feel unique and like they have their quirks to them because the dungeons I remember are the, the ones that I made that have weird stuff in them. Like the first dungeon you guys did that had teleporters in them. Yeah, that was interesting. Where, like, there's also a dungeon we did with snake people that I constantly forget is even there. And that one's I recorded. also forget that, yeah. Right, where people are like, yeah, we've done snake stuff before. And I'm like, have we? And then I'm like, oh, yeah, we did. And, like, stuff happened. Like, and I know, like, it was decently relevant to, like, yeah. stuff that's going on. Yeah, that, that one mattered. And I, I that one definitely mattered. <laughs> the first one, it mattered, but, like, in the very, like, how much any first quest matters mm -hmm. it was more party building but like the snake quest it matters and i forget that it happened on a daily basis <laughs> like yeah. i'll flip through notes and i'm like what's this about oh this <laughs> yeah. oh yeah we did that well and so like when i was running city of mist um a lot of and there weren't per se dungeons in that game yeah and that's kind of where was, dungeoneering is definitely just loose terminology yeah like when we're talking about setting and level design um what I went for with that one was theming relevant to the topic. So it was all about um, mythology and very, I think, was all of it? No, not all of it was North, Norse mythology, but every arc was about some mythology. So, like, one of them was about the Pied Piper. One of them was about uh, Sigurd who slayed a dragon. One of them was about... And so then everything behind that had to be, like... My, my goal for that was that every, like, arc was going to be, like, a, a trick where I got to, like, 
be like, hey guys, this is what it actually is. And you'd be all like, oh, I get it. It's the Pied Piper. So like there would have to be hints laid in there. So from the get go, I had to have that in mind that like, particularly like the one that I remember is the one with the Pied Piper. I had to have like a setting where it like everyone was dressed in like weird clothes and people fought, you know, so like that's built the world a little bit was what the, mm-hmm. what the backbone of the setting was. Gotcha. Yeah, so um, one other topic, I'm sure we're kind of getting short on time here for uh, Gamer Noob, but uh, one other thing I wanted to talk about was, um, so if you read Dice of Men, uh, of Dice and Men, uh, he talks about how Gary Gygax, um, in order to create dungeons, he would just kind of like randomly do things. So it's like, you just have three goblins here that are sitting in a room. Um, and so what I kind of want to touch on is what how different it kind of has become, especially with D&DE, where it's easier to make a narrative. Like, how much is the narrative feeding into your dungeon creation? Um, it sounds like with City of Mist specifically, that does Yeah, it a was like lot. the whole thing. Like, there really weren't levels. There was encounters, and that was it. And they were at a place, but you weren't, like, crawling through a dungeon, you know? I mean, from... For Dungeons and Dragons, at least what how I do it, it's like it influences it some, but it's still at a certain point like a dungeon is a dungeon. Like, yeah, it like, feels like we're playing Dungeons and Dragons. Right, like at a certain point, like the setting influences it, but like it's a cave. Yeah, it doesn't matter that there's a dragon in it, that there's a bad guy in it, that there's a snake person in it. Like at a certain point, it's just a cave. Yeah, and it's more like the little details that you can notice, which right. you guys may or may not pick up on, or what's influenced more by the plot for me. It's when we like find letters and stuff, right? Or that- it's like the point of like the heist one, where like I lavishly described a lot of stuff in like everything looks gold. It was supposed to give you the idea like the guy that you're fighting is super good at transmutation magic. Yeah, like that's his jam. So, like, if you're really good at transmuting things, why would your whole house not be made out of gold or yeah. other ludicrous substances? Yeah, for sure. I get what you mean about, like, then it's, like, the little details shaping the world. Not so much, like, the dungeon itself, if you stripped out the cosmetics, would just be, you know, like, right. not necessarily the same. Like, the mechanic, maybe, of getting through the dungeon is what's unique then, and that doesn't necessarily relate directly to a story element but it's what you find in these dungeons you know like when you see a chair what does it look like when you see the table what does it look like right and like at a certain point it's like you're playing done at least for my games like you're playing dungeons and dragons yeah at a certain point you're gonna have to go through a dungeon and you're gonna fight the dragon right and and that's what i meant when i said like it feels like we're playing dungeons and dragons so like there is a dungeon that we crawl there are encounters in it there's usually a boss and like not that that's bad it's not nece- it's, I don't think it's essential for the setting, but it's kind of what you expect a little bit, and not yeah. in like when you play, it's like yeah, okay, like it's Dungeons and Dragons. It's you, there's a lot of stuff about how to fight things and making sure you have enough hit points by the time you get to the end of the dungeon to not die. So what you guys try not to do a lot. <laughs> I make an effort to make it challenging on you to not kill us. <laughs> oh boy, actually no, you don't though, because here's the thing: when you almost one shot my dragon. After dying to some alligators. I didn't nearly die to some alligators. Dane did. Because he was greedy. Yeah. Um, the other thing I did want to mention, at least for Dungeons & Dragons specifically, but I think this fits for all Dungeoneering, your dungeon is going to have boring spots. Yeah. Like, I, like for the longest... Like, up until, like, actually, like, Saturday, I'm like, how can I make, like, exploring a house more interesting? There's boring parts of it because there's rooms that are just not used. What do I do with those rooms? And then I played with a module that was published at comms and ran for, like, ten years. And in it, 
It's like, here's a room. There's nothing in it. Here's a room. There's nothing in it. Here's a room. Well, if you dug through a lot of bat poop, you could have found something in it, but we didn't. That I don't necessarily know if I 100% agree with. Because, like, I get I get what you mean that, like, if you design a realistic house, like, 90% of my house, my real house, is probably kind of boring. Or at least, you know, like, you found a laptop in this room. Moving on, you know. <laughs> but, like, what I will say that I like about games like City of Mist and games that are a little bit more fluid with, like narrative elements is you can kind of bypass some of those because at some points those do feel kind of like yeah when you just like walk into a room and you're like what's in there and it's like there's a chest and i'm like i open it i look through every part of it i rip it apart i i put it in a different place is there a pressure plate like no this is a room with just a chest with a shirt in it it's like why even put it in the world well but i i think i think you do make a good point zach like because especially with the one that we did recently in the house um like you you were kind enough to give us the outline of the house and like all the rooms in it and and our characters we earned that. we did earn it we did get <laughs> blueprints quote unquote which house so, are we talking about because you went through two houses i'm talking recently. about the big one okay the big one okay yeah because if you look at the maps that you made and the amount of rooms like i think at some point you I think at some point we as players knew we're not, we don't have to go into every single bedroom in this house to find things. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Um, but you also have to make things so that they're realistic. Cause I know in the game that I did, the big, um, the big company building that I had, I had like general offices and it's like, there is space here that if you guys walk in, yeah, there's just computers that are like broken and stuff. But it's just like it's there. So if you really want to check it out, if you really want to get perceptive, great. There's just not going to be a whole lot there. Right. And and I think that makes sense. I think for me, like when I was planning areas in City of Mist, because occasionally I would do like very rough sketches of like what the actual place was. It was a lot more based on what people asked for. So like a good example was I think at one point. Ooh, I think Caitlin and Vinny were trying to... No, it was you and Vinny, because you were both kind of more of the academic-y types, right? Yes. No? No, no it was Caitlin and Vinny. Yes, was Caitlin yeah, and Vinny. Yeah, Caitlin, Caitlin was the scientist. Yeah, sorry, sorry. I was getting your two characters Man, kind of blended together. That's all right. Mandy uh, was the secretary. Well, and you were a teacher. Yeah. Right. So Caitlin and Vinny were sneaking in to pretend to be like interns, and I didn't have like the whole production facility mapped out that they were sneaking through, right? I just said, you're sneaking through a manufacturing floor. You can see machines operating. And then they went, oh, you know, we want to find a corner to sneak into and do something. And I was like, okay, well, based on your role, that'll determine if you can find that room. They would almost certainly exist in a place like this. You know, like, yeah. they would be able to find a closet or, like, the random, like, server room where no one's looking or whatever it is. Um, so then that's kind of what I mean more in my head when I'm like, if there's a room that exists that I've come up with, it's it's there for a reason. And if people need a room to serve an extraneous purpose that they come up with, usually it's like, that room now poofs into existence, depending on how well you roll. Or doesn't. Or the door's locked, you know. I think that definitely comes with you being a little bit more of a fluid game Yeah, runner. it's because I'm lazy. <laughs> it's because I'm lazy and I don't want to... That being said, I don't... Like, yeah, you avoided a lot of the boring parts of stuff, but there were still, like, down parts where it wasn't as interesting. Well, for sure. There's, there's like, parts of a building that right, are schmah, but I, I didn't, like, map... I didn't draw those. Well, but I'm not... But I meant, like, in your... Like, in our role-playing segments, there were parts that were less fun, and I don't think there was anything wrong. I think it's that... 
to keep the fun always at a 10 is not feasible. Right, right. Like, and there are going to be parts of it a quest where you just nail it and everyone's having a great time the entire time. And then there are parts that's like, why did we need to go a week in the wilderness? <laughs> you know? Yeah. Well, and I think at some point it's, it's the investigating part of a dungeon or environment. Like... Well, what you're talking about is we were doing the research part of it, which can be interesting if you like hit that sweet spot of like, oh, I'm getting the right information and it's interesting and I did it a creative way. Sometimes that's not going to happen. Right. And I think that's like when it comes to designing an engaging environment, that is always the tricky part is trying to limit the parts that drag and lengthen the parts that are good and are working well. And so, like, some of it is, like, going back and looking at what I've done and being like, okay, what part of this level design sucked? And we're, we were all just sitting silently confused. <laughs> Let's try to isolate those parts and get rid of them. Because, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I've, I've definitely had those points where a game is drug and I'm like, oh, why don't they just know to push the button? <laughs> well, and this goes a little bit into knowing your players and who your players are. Like... On the one, especially City of Mist, I think is a really good example of this only because I know I struggled with it as a player. Is there's a lot of investigating, like there's a big part of the game that's just investigating. And now, if you're smart, you'll just roll the dice and have the uh, the GM like give you more information to get you there. But I think a lot of what we tried to do was like, oh, no, we can do this on our own. And it's like, you don't have to do that. And I, and that can translate, I think, into like D&D dungeoneering is like you don't. Well, I think D&D pushes for that more. It's, you know, you have to roll to do a perception. You have to do this um, in order to figure things out. Well, and that's like an interesting thing with all role playing games is. You know, when you're swinging a sword, unless you're LARPing, there's no real-world analog, right? Like, D&D is not a skill game. You can't be good or bad at it. You know what I mean? Like, you roll the dice and randomly stuff happens. You can be better at role-playing. You can be better at tactics. You know, like, oh, if I flank this, you know, you can, like, balance your scores. But if you're the worst sword fighter in the world, you can be the best in it at D&D. But that's not true when it comes to investigate, like, figuring out clues and puzzles. Yeah. Unless, like... And I'll say this, I really appreciate something that Zach does with this, is that, like, when we have a puzzle and we roll a perception check on it, that does not solve the puzzle. It gives us pertinent clues that help us, but we still have to figure it out. And that was the same way City of Mist is, is that it's like, you can't roll the dice and just win the game, you know, like, you do have to figure something out eventually, but it can give you, like, pertinent clues and kind of push you in the right direction. But I think D&D kind of can be that type of game, though, where you can just be like, there's a trap, I roll the dice, the trap's gone, you know. Well, I also worked work very hard and put way more hours in it than I should to make it not feel like D&D the whole time. Yeah, yeah. And like, this is, as someone who's played D&D since fourth grade, and I'm now 25, <laughs> like, so like, what is that, over 15 years it's at this point? a long point? time, yeah. Somewhere <laughs> around 15 years at points. It's like at a certain point, it's like it, D and D feels like you're just rolling dice. So like, I want to make it interesting. I don't want you to just have to go to the dungeon, kill some kobolds, come back with the gold, buy a magic weapon, go back to the dungeon, kill more kobolds. Yeah, yeah. Because if we wanted to do that, we have World of Warcraft, that we, you know, <laughs> or Diablo, or <laughs> here's your here's your checklist: kill ten goblins. Go, good, you've done it. 
Or like even Check. Skyrim. It's like if if you wanted to just go be murder hobo all the time, it's like we have video games that can do a way better job than I ever could. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Well, and that's like something. Well, now we're getting off topic, but I'm briefly going to touch on this. That like the other D and D game that I'm running just for friends off recording. Um, I don't think that I'm as like good about doing necessarily diverse interactions that is to say that like there's not a lot of puzzles in my game because shocker cody's not good at puzzles so i can't do them that being said you figured out a good deal of my puzzles (laughs) no i haven't you figured out one of the (laughs) ones that i'm like this is obvious look at it immediately and i nearly died on one of your puzzles because i just went up and pushed a button and then i got poisoned and then another time, I well, got no, electrocuted. The problem with that puzzle wasn't that you didn't figure it out. You're like, I got this without reading my puzzle. And started, you hit like three buttons in a row. So it wasn't you got poisoned once. You got poisoned three times that in was, a row. That was me trying to like, okay, so here's, I don't know, this kind of again is a little bit of a tangent, but it's a fun aside, which is when your DM creates a world and then you go, I'm going to beat that by not doing it. So like, here's a puzzle, like you can click, like there's like a big panel of push buttons and you have to select which one's right. And I'm just like, I push all of them, like one at a time, like screw this, I'm not solving the puzzle. Then it's like poison, 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 unconscious, like awesome we could we could talk about x factor players at some point because you are definitely and one that's of them. why there was poison tied to the buttons because i know my players yep yep i thought i was gonna outsmart you that's, like what? me cody outsmarting you zach and it did not work well for cody well and we'll we'll at some point talk more about specifically traps and puzzles but that's definitely a fun part of your dungeons yes. as frustrated as i know i get as a player because i'm bad at them <laughs> yeah but what's real hard for our group in spe- in particular is like everyone likes something different oh yeah yeah that's very true that's very true and balancing that is very hard well not everyone but Vinny, by and large likes different things than everyone else Vinny likes tactical combat and puzzles. Yeah. And, and doesn't really, like, he's not bad at it. I, I think he likes it more now, but when we first started playing, he didn't like role-playing either. Yeah. Like, before we started recording, Vinny would say maybe two sentences a session out of character. Yep. You mean in character? No, I meant out of character in general. Like, oh. at all. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, and, that's true. Like, at all. And then, like, then it got to the point where he started talking in character. Like, his first character was, I don't even know if he role-played that person at all. Oh, it was I the mean, girl. Yeah, it, was it was the Ficaria. Pathfinder. I, yeah, I think that I think that we t- kind of talked about our Pathfinder characters before, and <laughs> what I said about him is it's really easy to have party unity when your only motivation is killing the thing that you put in front of That's us. Very true. <laughs> yeah. Um. But like, I don't remember like good role playing scenes from anyone in no. there, with the exception of maybe you. No. And I wouldn't call it good. I would just call it role playing scenes. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I had a character that I was playing, but I I don't think that there was a lot of like depth to it. You know. It was yeah. what it was, which is fine. Yeah, well, that was also people's first games, and that's not a problem. That's the other thing to take in mind. It's not unoriginal if it's someone's first time. Yeah, yeah. that's true. Like, if, if this was your guys' first game, heck, you'd be going through the most basic of dungeons, fighting <laughs> dragons all the way. Three goblins and a bugbear. All the time. <laughs> like, you joke, but it's like, oh, look, and now you're fighting four dire wolves because that's original. Oh, yeah, that was, that was what I was going to say is, like, another thing that to me goes into like level design to some extent like when i'm designing an environment 
I like it to be, um, I don't want to say like subversive because that's not the right word, but just like, I might not have a puzzle, but I like the interactions to be weird and unexpected. So like, I can't remember what it was, but you know, even as simple as just like goblins aren't bad guys or goblins can talk or you can talk to the goblins and get out of an interaction. I, I like that ability to be like, you know, usually it's like, oh, there's a goblin just stab the goblin and then you're done. But I, I like it when the goblins talk. And when you, like, want to solve this problem, there's, like, a talking goblin trying to convince you not to. And then you can just be like, hey, what if we don't? I'm like, yeah, come to, come to a verbal agreement. It's going to go great. I love it. But. Well, and and kind of going, kind of coming around to what, uh, I think it was something Zach said earlier. Um, keeping in mind what your players want yeah. with creating a dungeon is I mean yeah obviously we make it really hard as a group because we all want different things. Um, but you guys are all, you also you make it hard because you want different things, but you're also all super amenable. Like, yeah, like you guys, Cody, you don't like combat, but you know combat's going to be a thing, and you're okay with the combat we have. It's not like right, right. And I wouldn't say like I don't necessarily dislike combat. I'm just like it's not my only jam. Right. Well, it was like, and it's like you. Then that's how you guys all are with everything. It's like there are yeah. things you like less and better, but no one of you flips a table when I bring up the thing you dislike. Well, right. And I, I think we all, especially with getting to know our characters better with voyage with our voyage of Agamon characters, I think we all are able to find ways that our characters can do those things. Yeah. So Even if like, you're in the middle of a combat, if the environment's good, you can figure out a different way to interact with it. Yeah. Exactly. Um. Even if you don't like puzzles, maybe your character does and is just bad at them or right. <laughs> you know what i mean um so but but keeping in mind you know if you find that a lot of your players really like to do puzzles well maybe that's the majority of what your dungeon ends up being um or if you have players like us you try to diversify as much as possible <laughs> <laughs> have someone for me to talk to <laughs> in character for 45 minutes oh goodness <laughs> It's going to be fun and egotistical. Here's the thing. When you start talking for 45 minutes to a character, you're the DM then, Cody. <laughs> <laughs> At that point, I'm done DMing. You just get to sit back and relax then. <laughs> right. All right. So is there anything we want to wrap up with on uh, starting to create your dungeon? Um, go, go for it. I feel like our main points were like start with a plan of some sort. Yeah, design from a theme for sure. Yeah, or a map or like whatever whatever is your jam. Design like build a foundation and build from that. Don't start with I need to have 15 silver in the chest at the end of the dungeon. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Like don't don't base it just on loot, but Yeah, like, I think or not just loot, but like or like like don't design the desk in the office that someone might not go into before you've designed the rest of the dungeon. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Or not rest or like any of the dungeon. I think then uh, the the next like sub point to that is figure out what your main targets are. So if this is where yeah. your big NPC is, if this is where the big loot is, if this is the place where you really, really, really want them to go because there's something really cool you set up, a really cool puzzle, like know where those places are. I think that's good advice. And then the other one is always good for not just making a dungeon, but always is... Um, know your players know what your players want and give them what they want no one benefits from you planning an epic combat when nobody wants an epic combat I think that is very true anyone else got anything? you done? you done saying things? 
keep wandering. <laughs> Thanks, Zach. I, th- I think we're good. Well, thank you guys so much for listening to this episode of Gamer Noob. Uh, we're definitely going to talk more about Dungeoneering in future episodes, so stay tuned for that. Um, but for now, uh, happy holidays, everybody, and happy 20, uh, 2018. Yep. Bye. Bye. Bye.